This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here. Go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Today, we have one of my very favorite LinkedIn personalities, Mr. Walt Goshert from the great state of Pennsylvania back for the second time. Kyle, I hope your wife doesn't have a baby today. I'd have a few questions, but the last time Walt was on was when Nash was being born and Kyle was out. So I had to run that one single-handedly and what turned out, uh, what, what originally started as a conversation about LinkedIn quickly evolved into Walt just laying down the, the the law about workers' compensation based on his previous experience, which caught me completely off guard in a good way, because then all of a sudden we were in the wheelhouse again. So, Walt, it is great to have you back, man. I feel like you live in my living room anyhow, because I'm constantly seeing your updates on LinkedIn, always adding value for the industry. And I hope and trust that everybody who listens to this podcast has the sense to follow Walt on LinkedIn because he will make you better for sure. So for everybody who hasn't heard you, why don't you just give them the 10,000 foot overview and then we'll get kicking. Okay. Well, Hey, thanks David. I appreciate that. Yeah. And appreciate the, uh, the invite to come back uh, for the second round of this. And I want to thank you for you know, allowing me to be a part of the workshop earlier on this year and also the mention in the book. Uh, you know, I, I didn't dig for it, but it was, it was there. I forget which page, but, but it's in there. So really appreciate that. Uh, quickly on my background, David mentioned about work comp. Uh, I was an ex commercial insurance broker uh, out in uh, Colorado. I grew up here in Pennsylvania, but spent a lot of my time, my professional career out in Colorado. Put together one of the first uh, uh, work comp safety groups uh, for the state. And uh, that was a great experience. So, you know, kind of cut my teeth in the uh, work comp arena. And, uh, you know, been online pretty much since the beginning of the internet. One of my clients, had one of the first internet service providers. So I saw the uh, impact and the future of what the internet could be. And I've been kind of dabbling around with it, learning every day and it's exciting stuff. 
Yeah, absolutely. So talk a little bit about how you made the transition from being a broker to kind of what you do now with helping salespeople become more visible on LinkedIn. Yeah, that's a good question. It, it was really, it wasn't a sudden thing. It was kind of an evolution. Uh, just, uh, you know, I had an opportunity. Uh, my dad was ill, so I got out of the insurance business, sold my interest in, in the agency and moved from Colorado back to Pennsylvania was kind of what sparked that. And I had been doing some side freelance projects, writing projects, marketing strategy projects, actually outside the insurance business. A lot of the projects were with other B2B marketing agencies is where I first started. And, uh, you know, like a lot of people on LinkedIn, I was on it way back when and could never could really figure it out until I really looked at it probably about five years ago and saw, geez, there's really some, uh, some possibilities here. And, you know, went back to my roots saying, geez, what do I really understand who really needs help here? And it was those commercial insurance brokers. So that was kind of how the whole thing evolved. Then it continues to evolve. What was the specific gap that you saw? Or was there something that caught your eye or like, why was the insurance broker specifically, like what were they not doing or doing that was? I think, you know, that's a great question, Kyle. I think the big thing is, is, you know, we get caught up, you know, and a lot of this stuff, it, it works, you know, the one-to-one, you know, whether it's calling, doing the door knocks, drop-ins, uh, email out to one-to-one. I think what's the great opportunity is, with LinkedIn or online, you have the ability to communicate one to many. So you're able to leverage what you know, what your authority is, what, how you can create value. The other thing is, is when you're doing the one-to-one, you're kind of chasing after the people who are in the buying mode, you know, and that's only three to maybe 10% of your market. That's really looking to buy switch brokers, do whatever, you know, because they have all the priorities going on at that particular time. So you're you're eliminating that other 95, 90 to 95% of the market, and someone else is going to educate that, that portion of the market. That's where the real opportunity is. And I think a lot of people miss that. And it's be- going to become more and more prevalent and more important that you communicate and, and create that relationship with those people that just aren't ready to buy, educate them, create value, build trust, build that relationship. And that's the opportunity that LinkedIn affords you, not only LinkedIn, but your whole online or digital presence, whether it's LinkedIn, Facebook, your website, TikTok, you know, whatever other crazy stuff that's going on that can get you in front of people in the right way. Dave's a big TikTok guy. <laughs> There's a lot of trolls on TikTok, man. I'm going to say, David, I, I'm really enjoying those uh, those little short interviews that your son's doing in the car. Those things are great. Those are awesome, man. So here's a fun fact that he doesn't even know yet. He gets six months of recording me, and then I'm flipping the camera, and he can drive to work, <laughs> and I'm going to ask him. There you got to make sure he retains all the information, right? Yeah. So I got to, you know, everything I do, I've got to be like getting two or three things out of any one activity so I can train him, get content out at the same time. Now I can make sure he retains the talent or retains the knowledge and still get content out. It'll be different because it'll be him talking this time. So it's all about leverage, man. Yeah, 100%. So, you know, you've been doing this for a little while. You know, there's... (sighs) 
you and I both know this and we can agree on it. There's, there's a lot of bad actors on LinkedIn. (laughs) Um, You know, even today, so much automation, you know, and I've always said, I am a big fan of automation. I believe you should automate everything you can with the premise of enhancing the human interaction and experience, making the the one-on-one stuff much better. So what do I automate on LinkedIn? Content posts, things that I just want to kind of blanket just to get it out there, make sure it gets posted across my different platforms and everything else. What don't I automate? Instant messages. I can't stand getting a connection request that's oh, dude, automated. They're terrible. Yeah, they're always you, horrible. Then you then if there's one good enough to get by my radar, I end up getting a message almost immediately soliciting me from <laughs> the second that I, yeah. I, connect, I had a guy yeah. this morning said I've been studying your profile and it <laughs> looks like you know blah 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 and it was actually really well written. It did not have my middle initial included, which means that it wasn't, it wasn't automated, right? Because otherwise it would have been. And um, I'm like, all right, I'll go ahead and take this. It wasn't even five seconds after I accepted his request that I'm getting, hey, I'd really like to jump on your calendar to schedule time, you know, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and I'm like, so I wrote back to him. I was like, tell me what you have in mind. You know, my yeah. time's valuable. Tell me what the premise of the conversation is because I know what he wants. He wants to talk to me about buying my agency and my agency is not for yeah. sale. I'm not going to exit anytime soon. And I told him, I'm like, look, if it's something that I'm interested in talking to you about, you can get on my calendar. If I'm not interested in talking, I'm just not really big for one-on-one get to know you meetings off of LinkedIn until we've interacted a little bit on this platform. Well, see, you know, it gets back to what I was saying earlier there. You're, you're in that 90, 95% who just aren't buyers right now. He missed the opportunity to educate you, to talk about, to send you information, to build that relationship, to say, hey, David, you know, you seem to be on the leading edge of what insurance brokers and what agencies are doing right now. Really enjoy your stuff. He could have commented on your, your post, interacted with you. He missed a tremendous opportunity to really build a relationship with you because he just decided to just kind like, of go in for the kill right away. Take you me know? to dinner first. Yeah. yeah. Get to build the relationship. Yeah. That's, that's the part that's that's the opportunity on LinkedIn. And you're right, David. It, I think people just get lazy with the whole automation thing. And, and it's, there's just been so much hype and empty promises made about, geez, you can automate this and get you know, 20, 30, 100 leads a month, all this kind of crap that goes on. And it's just not true because you can get 20 or 30 or 100 crap leads that don't go anywhere and it just blows all your authority, all your credibility when you do that. I'm yeah. a big believer in automating. Also, I automate, I use a program called Taplio that it has uh, artificial intelligence to so it tracks your posts. It gives you the stats in your posts, your interactions, you know, what, where'd you get the most interactions? Where'd you get the most views? So you can find out what stuff is really working and you can schedule your posts out. To me, that's good leverage. But the leverage relationship building, that's just a no-no. That's just dumb. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I think that that's a problem that we, we're seeing manifest itself on LinkedIn 
But truthfully, it's a problem that exists in the real world, too. Yeah. I mean, I can't tell you the number of times producers go out and, and prematurely shoot, right? They think yeah. they have an opportunity. They don't understand, like, they don't understand how the, the buyer's journey works. They don't understand how long they should nurture and educate before they need to make the, the next step. Most importantly, I think this all exists because they don't lay the ground rules at the front of an engagement. They don't say, hey, Really appreciate you being willing to talk to me. Um, I feel like we had a great meeting this morning. Let's talk about what things look like moving forward. In order for us to be able to work together, here's what I need. And just tell them what you need. Yeah. I need I need access to your information, right? When I, when I need loss runs, when I need information on a claim or whatever, I'm going to need that. And I need you to be able to commit to me that you're going to give that to me in a timely fashion. I'm going to need access to your people because we interview people so that we understand the culture of your company, the, the, the true makeup of your risk profile. And I want to be able to articulate that to underwriters. And number three, and most importantly for me, I need to understand that if we come in and we put together our work product and give you a compelling case, do you have the ability to fire the person who's working with yeah. you right now? Those are the three non-negotiable questions for me. And I don't think producers set the table the right way. I'm one of these guys, I'll take a first meeting with anybody. I don't care. I will take 100% of the first meetings that are willing to book with me because I feel like we lose 100% of the shots we don't take. <laughs> and a lot of the time, you're meeting with some, you know, I, I see it all the time online where my counterparts are talking about, well, this is just a price buyer or this guy's, you know, shopping the whole market or he's shotgunning or whatever else. I take a little different approach. I feel like people do that because they don't really understand there's a better way. They don't understand broker selection. Nobody's ever taken the time to explain to them how it works, why it's powerful. You know, you can go out and you can do market selection, but you're really putting the broker at a disadvantage because they're blindly competing against the other brokers. You could go out and just do an RFP or whatever else. But, you know, truly, if you sit back and you look at every single insurance agent, I feel like by and large, no matter how good we think we are, our average client perceives every insurance agent who has a license to be the same person, 100% yeah. across the board, until yeah. we go in and do something and demonstrate that we're different. And that's what you do in that first meeting. I can't tell you the number of times I have gone into a first meeting where I thought somebody was going to be a price buyer and they tell me how busy they are before I get there and everything else. <laughs> and I should be glad that, that they're taking time to meet with me. And one of my first questions is, if you're so busy, why in the heck are you controlling the renewal process? Uh, you're yeah. not educated to do this. You know, this is what I do for a living. You're a mechanic with a chain of car, car repair facilities. That's what you should be focusing on because that's your core competency. That's why I bring my car to you. I don't bring my car to you and then stand in your shop and tell you everywhere to turn <laughs> the wrench and that, you know, four other True. people will do it cheaper or whatever else. I'm going to trust that you're a professional. You have all your credentials on your wall in here and they're quite impressive. I think I'm going to go ahead and take a chance. You know what you're talking about and you're going to give me the best overall result. That's all I'm asking you to do with me. Mm -hmm. I think it goes back to something that you mentioned in, in the Dirty 130 book, David. You know, your approach in the door knock, you know, these people aren't sitting around thinking about insurance. In fact, they hate insurance by and large. You know, they have other pressing business problems that they're dealing with, whether it's hiring people, retaining their staff, you know, productivity, winning profitable jobs, 
you know, dealing with inflation, supply chain issues, whatever. You know, when you do that first cold call, door knock or whatever, give them some value that's outside of anything that has to do with insurance. And you talk about, you know, the plumber's uh, salary and benefits guide that you deliver on the uh, door knocks. You know, so you're delivering some value. So you're setting, you've got to set the stage first before you can ask those expectation questions. Because if not, you're just perceived as just another sales guy, just another insurance guy. So you got to, right from the get-go, you need to separate yourself and position as that trusted advisor right from the beginning, where, you know, the idea being that, hey, if this this person, this business owner has any kind of business question, who are they going to call? Are they going to call their CPA, their business attorney? Are they going to call you the insurance broker? That's the position you want to be in. I can tell you, and it's interesting because as my career has progressed, the number of calls I get regarding an insurance question or a claim scenario have dwindled in the questions I get about overall business strategy and things along yeah. those lines have increased. And it is the it, calls it, you want, they're golden. You know, the, the claims questions, the coverage questions, hell, let the staff handle that crap. Yep. hundred percent. Most of the time they're not even like those questions don't come up. Like, like a lot of times clients are not calling me, asking me about coverage. They're asking me what you just talked about. But, I've been at it a fifth of the time that you have. And I, I get those calls from several of my clients and it is, that's just kind of the way we operate here. I do think that what you mentioned about um, setting the table is, I mean, we've talked about it a million times on the pod, right? That's where the miscommunication always happens is on the front end and, and not, um, you know, clearly setting those expectations. But I think like, imagine going through a process with somebody and then at the end, they don't realize that they have to fire their, <laughs> their current <laughs> representation. Like what a giant waste of time that is, you know, well, for I everybody. Think the, I think part of the problem is the agent just assumes they know that, right? Yeah, yeah, right. They just assume that's the case and they don't. So, uh, but here's, the, but here's the thing. They're, they're afraid. They don't have the balls to ask the yeah. question. I think yeah. that's the bigger problem. That was that was the other the other <laughs> part of it. But at the same time, like, why would an agent why would a client not expect that? Right. If you have a better price, they're going to have to fire that person to go with you for price. So True. regardless of what the reasoning is for hiring, you still need to table the question. And, I, you know, honestly, clients appreciate that. I put out a piece on LinkedIn that was a snippet from a coaching call I had with Aaron Ramsey, who's in Killing Commercial. And it was an interesting call because I really feel like it's some of the best advice I've given anybody in a while, just in terms of how I read Aaron and the psychology behind where he was. And so to give everybody kind of an, a, a background about it, he lost a large account that had been bought by venture capital and <laughs> they had, they had, um, they had purchased, purchased the business and he just never could hit it off with the new person that was the decision maker. He said he tried, but it was obvious this person wasn't interested in building a relationship. And I, this is a guy who I take him at his word because Aaron has a very good book of business. He's been doing it for a while. And so if he comes to me and says, look, man, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. 
I'm pretty sure he has. And it was obvious to me that this guy probably already had somebody in his back pocket that he was going to bring in or the VC firm that bought them has a portfolio program and they were just going to get rolled in at expiration, which I was kind of surprised they didn't just cancel the policies and roll it if that were the case. So anyhow, to fast forward, we had the conversation a couple of weeks ago and he said, I'm fine, man. You know, probably three weeks ago, he said, everything's good. You know, I, 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 charged a service fee on this account this year. It was fully earned at inception. So they paid me a hundred percent of the fee up front, and I'm going to at least have uh, my income on the account for a year. So I have plenty of time. Well, he traveled the next week and I traveled the following week. And then this last Friday, cause he and I have a weekly call on Friday mornings on Friday morning, we get on the call. He's like, man, he goes, I need to talk to you. And he like starts explaining everything that's going on about how he's been out prospecting like crazy and da, da, da. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Step back for a minute and take a deep breath, man. Why? You, you lost the account, but you self-admittedly to me in more than one conversation have told me that that revenue is not mission critical for your agency. Like you're going to be just fine. You're still going to pay your bills. And I said, he goes, he said, yeah, I know he goes, but you know, I want to, I said, no, no, what you have is you have a mental void. You have a void in your mind that you lost an account. And because of the way we're wired as producers, you want to go out and kill something to replace that (laughs) mental void in your account. That's just what we do. And I said, the problem with that is you're doing it like a maniac. I don't think I said maniac. I said, but you're literally going out in, in, in trying to meet with anybody who will meet with you. And by you doing that, you're diminishing the value proposition that you personally and that your firm represents to everybody who's already in your client because you're devoting yeah. more time to people who are probably likely not going to ever do business with you because they're all price shoppers based on what you're telling me. That's why they're taking the meeting. And in the meantime, you're neglecting your existing book of business, which I'd be flip flip flopping it. I'd spend the majority of your time making sure that all of those relationships are intact and spend your other time. He's like, you know what, man? He goes, you're hundred percent right. Is you're sitting here telling me this, my email is, is continuing to accumulate. I got one thing after another coming in. I've got calls I haven't returned. And it was like a, a a bright light went off. He's like, you know, you're right. If this is a mental issue, this is psychology. It's in my head. Sometimes it's okay to lose an account, man. But if you do, you know, none of us like it. We're not wired to like it. We can be, it could be disclosed to us all the way on the front end. But when it happens, we still take offense to it for yeah. whatever the reason. And so our first response is to go back and hit back and try and try <laughs> and find something to replace it. And truthfully, you know this from being a producer in the middle market yourself, that's a longer process. You're not just going to yeah. go out in two weeks, replace sixty, seventy thousand dollars in yeah. revenue to your agency. No, this those, those, kind, those <laughs> kind of accounts take, you know, it, it, at least a year, twelve to eighteen months, and more than that. And not only that, but if you go out and you all, you know, start to prospect and talk to everyone, you're showing up as being desperate. You're, you're not controlling the process. And the one thing that repels people more than anything is if you show up being desperate. You know, not only that, if you're sitting there with a book of business, you're sitting on a freaking gold mine. You can t- 
talk to those people, ask them for testimonials, ask them for LinkedIn recommendations, ask them to, you know, check out who they're connected with, you know, go back into your dream 100 list of prospects, your target accounts, and find out, hey, Jim, who do you know in this list? Who do you know well enough that you could introduce me and we could sit down and have a lunch together? Yeah. You know, work that, work your clients. You know, not only that, they'll appreciate that you ask them for feedback and you build a closer relationship with those clients that you already have. Yeah. And you can continue to round out those accounts. I mean, if you're not on all lines of the coverage, that's the easiest, (laughs) that's the easiest sale you're going to make is somebody who's already your client. Yeah. It's, yeah. Well, just like just like David talked about it in in the again the dirty one thirty. Hey, who are who are their strategic partners? Who do they do business with? Ask them to open up their checkbook. You know, who are they writing checks to? You know, if it's if it's that uh, auto repair shop, who's their uh, you know tool guy? Who's their paint guy? Who's their uh, you know uniform guy? Who comes mm-hmm. in and cleans up the building? Who cuts the grass? You know. You know, those people can get you in front of other people. 100%, man. I mean, we went through this. The other thing, too, is understanding, like from a prospecting perspective, understanding how, I, look, I realize that what I'm saying is, what I'm about to say is cliche, but when I explain it, it's not. Um, but you got to understand how people buy, man. You know, I mean, you need to understand who, how that prospect makes their buying decisions and what their daily or average buyer's journey looks like. We had a guy that we brought in as a producer that I essentially bought his Rolodex because he came from a man, a, a company that was a distributor of bulk lubricants and fluids for the auto industry manufacturing. So brake fluid, the high def that I have to put in my diesel truck, um, all of that stuff. And prior to that, he was in advanced auto parts as a salesperson, outside salesperson for them. So we bring him in and I've got all these grand plans thinking that this is going to work out great. Um, he's used to calling on these people. This is a, a niche that many of our carriers want. All I really need him to do is get in front of these people, get an appointment and let me go in and help him close it. He'll learn in no time, blah, 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 blah. It was an absolute disaster. <laughs> and, and and part of the reason why is because this guy came in and quickly became an insurance salesman as opposed to a relationship builder. And so when he was having problems getting appointments or sitting down in front of people, even though in some most many cases he had relationships already, there's quite a few that he didn't that were in his Rolodex that he was never able to open at the other place. And I said to him, I said, you know, here's my question for you. How do these people buy? Who are they used to seeing? And I said, it's not the insurance guy that's going to pop in once every three or four months and try and get them to take a meeting with them. These people are used to schedules. They have operating hours. They're used to routines. Think about this. When you worked at Advanced, you were in there, what, every other week, once a month? When you worked at the other company, you were in there, what, every other week, once a month? He said, yeah, but that's different because I was just trying to get them to buy more from me. So I had to stay in front of them more. I said, Oh, so you don't want them to buy more insurance than zero from you. I mean, (laughs) like you got to stay in front of them. Right. And I said, so from, from this point forward, you're not an, you're not an agent at Florida risk partners. You're the new territory rep and they're on your route. 
Yeah, yeah you're, you're a route guy. You're just popping in. Hey, how's it going? You know, talking to the staff, you know, building the relationships, finding out what's happening in the business. Hey, you know, what broke down? You know, what, you know, what customer complaints are they getting? You're talking to them about their business. They don't want to talk about insurance unless it's a problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, it's pretty apparent that like the solid relationships weren't weren't there to begin with. You know, because if, if they were, then it yeah, would have, could have that conversation a lot easier. Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, there's definitely there, there's clients that I sold to on uh, Quill back years and years ago that I walked in. And I mean, that's how we got the uh, that's how we got our, our, our plumbing contractor friends over in St. Pete. I mean, I sold them office supplies and I walked yeah. in there. It had been I hadn't seen those people in it must have been like six years probably. And I walked back in and they're like, Oh, Hey. And we started talking about the kids and this and everything and all that. And then we walk over to the office and she hands me all her, all her policies and deck pages and stuff and says, I need help. <laughs> so it's like, you gotta, you gotta also have the relationship, you know, uh, you, you've got to, you can't like, like we were just talking about earlier uh, with the LinkedIn stuff. You can't just go straight in for the kill. Like people yeah. aren't just wanting to sit around and buy insurance all day. You got to kind of massage that a little bit, especially with that sector of business that we were just talking about. Hey, you know, it's something that I talk about, Kyle, instead of chasing after clients, start to have the mindset of attracting clients, you know, putting value in front of them, putting, you know, the relationship in front of them so that you attract them to you. You know, yeah. They want to do business with people. They don't want to do business with some insurance guy that's behind a label or a logo. Now, they want to do business with Kyle, with David. That's who they want to do business with. Mm-hmm. Well, I can assure you, I can assure you when there's a claim, they're not going to say, I bought my insurance from Liberty Mutual or, yeah. you know, Scott, and I'm, I'm ripping this off of Scott Howell. I'll give him full credit for it. Scott says this all the time. People don't say, oh, I bought my insurance from Travelers or I bought Mm -hmm. my insurance from Liberty or I bought it from Hartford. No, they bought it from Scott Howell, you know, or they bought it from David Carruthers or Kyle Houck. So, you know, well, think about it, too. Whenever you like if you're trying to find out what carrier somebody's with at like 95 percent of the time, (laughs) they tell they tell you the agency. They're like, oh, uh, you know, whatever it is. Yep. 100 percent. So you've read the book, Walt. Let's dive in a little bit. That's not okay. what the intent of this was, but you came with bullet points, so I'm interested. Uh, we, got, we got the book here. There's the workbook. Oh, the workbook, yeah. And here, here's the book. Nice. Yeah, I don't really remember a lot of it. I just remember seeing my name in there somewhere. So. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but, you know, I already you know, talked about a couple things, and I think it's yeah, – and I know in, at the end of it, you kind of start to reference into the, the two-minute – a book, which I think is great, you know, and I think, you know, and this maybe plays off of what we've been talking about. A lot of the stuff that you do to build these relationships boil down to boring ass consistent activity. You know, that's really what it is. Yeah. Isn't that the you truth? <laughs> you do the same stuff every day and you don't think about what the result of that activity is. Because you never can point to, hey, I'm going to make these 20 cold calls and here's the result. No, you know, 
that's where you kind of get into this whole chasing mentality if you're focused on the results stuff. You know, you got to be consistent on the activity, whether it's those 20 uh, cold calls, whether it's the five drop-ins, whether it's the 10 connection requests. You know, and what I would add also on top of the LinkedIn uh, activity is, and I think a lot of people miss this, is instead of, you know, thinking about, it's probably a big ask if you haven't done it, thinking about, geez, I need to create content and post content. Get out there and find out who your strategic partners are, your potential clients, and start commenting on their stuff. Get on their radar so that when you do make that call, when you do drop in on them, they kind of think, oh, man, yeah, Kyle, he's been commenting on my post, or he's been commenting on the post of our HR person or my business development person. So there's something, you know, you triggered a a connection there before you go in and try to shake their hand. Yeah, or if that it's your client, their peer group is going to see that you're consistently yeah. interacting with that content, and they may be like, "Hey, who's this guy? Like, I'm having some workers' comp issues or whatever. You know, could you make an introduction to me?" Or they may just reach out to you themselves and say, "Hey, look, I see you commenting on so on Joe's posts. Looks like you handle workers' comp for them. Would love to connect. I'm having an issue. If you wouldn't mind taking a call." Mm-hmm. Here's the thing, Walt. This is this is the beauty of content marketing. You don't have to worry about who you're attracting because you're going to attract who yeah. res- who your message resonates with. Yeah. It's a completely different thought process than printing out a leads list and calling everybody on that leads list or going and knocking on the doors or whatever. You're simply creating content with the mentality that the right people will eventually find that content, consume it, and reach out to you because they view you is somebody who's a subject matter expert. And to the to that point, there's a weird phenomenon, and I may even have mentioned this when you were on the boot camp, but there's a weird phenomenon that I've picked up on. Um, I don't post any, I very rarely post Florida Risk Partners related content on LinkedIn. I just don't. I don't, I'm not trying mm-hmm. to personally grow my book anymore. It's already at a better than average size. And I work plenty of hours a week to service it, but I also enjoy my time off with my family. So I've chosen not to go out and aggressively market Florida risk through content on LinkedIn. Now my producers, that's a different story. They need to go do their own thing. But what I am religious about is what I'm passionate about in addition to FRP. And that's the podcast, building the building the killing commercial community, the book that I wrote, giving basically helping make other people better and giving back is what motivates me more than anything else. Money's great, mm-hmm. but I really like the satisfaction of taking somebody that really didn't have a clue and building them into a million dollar producer. I get a lot of satisfaction yeah. from doing that. And so I post the content out there as lead magnets to you know get people to go to the YouTube channel, listen to the podcast, whatever else. Well, about six months ago, I just started getting random messages on LinkedIn from CFOs of companies all over the country. (laughs) And the basis of the message was, hey, um, you don't know me, but I was interested if your company does business in our state or not. I've been following the stuff you put on LinkedIn that you teach other insurance agents about how to sell and how to represent their clients. And we're not getting that. We'd like Mm -hmm. that kind of a business model to work with. Are you licensed to do business in our state? Yeah. If you're not, 
do you have an agency in your network that you could refer us to? Mm -hmm. That's kind of the funny thing to it. And and here's one of the objections I hear from, from insurance brokers all the time that I work with is, you know, the CEOs, the CFOs, they're just not on LinkedIn. They don't pay attention. They do pay attention. You know, they may not be commenting, liking your crap that you put up there all the time, but something when it rises up and that insurance becomes a problem and it's a priority, they remember you. You know, you know, I would say 90, 95% of the clients that I've attracted through LinkedIn never liked anything that I posted, never commented anything, never did anything, but same thing out of the blue, I get a comment or a, a LinkedIn message saying, hey, I've been following you for a while. We really need to talk. And that's, well, that's when you know your content. That's when you know you've been consistent, you've been adding value, and it's hitting home. Yep. That's well, kind of the proof of the pudding there. That's exactly yeah. what you were talking about with not paying attention to the direct result of the activity. Yeah. Like immediate, like that, it, you could you could have hits on something you did a year ago, much like David was just talking about six months ago, you know, whatever. Like it, it's it's not always an immediate thing, especially in the insurance buying cycle. I mean, that's that's been well-established. Well, and the thing, Kyle, is, is, you know, all these LinkedIn gurus, they, they get on there and they're talking about, well, you need to drive a bunch of views. You need to go viral. You need to get a bunch of likes. You need to get all kinds of comments. You need to, you know, hack the algorithm. That's all bullshit. <laughs> it really the right, is. The right people are going to see your you know, stuff, as like long you said. Right, you're attracting the right people and you're repelling the wrong people with your content. That's mm-hmm. really what you're, you're thinking David said it, you have to have this mindset about the content and how you're leading people through that buying journey. How are you educating them? How are you going to build the relationship through the content? Yeah, and I, I think a lot of people, especially I think for people who have been in sales one-on-one, it's kind of a, it's a mind shift. You know, it's not it something you, we've been trained to do, mm-hmm. you know, because you haven't done it. You know, and, and so you try to go for the quick wins or the, the easy outs or, you know, and that stuff just doesn't work. And in fact, it's getting more and more. You know, the one thing I can say about LinkedIn, it, you know, since the pandemic, we've had a lot more people, you know, the work from home crowd, the remote work, you know, the freelancers. The bar has been raised on the quality of content on LinkedIn to be able to get attention. It used to be a lot easier to get attention. Now you need to you need to put out some quality stuff, or it's just not gonna it's not gonna resonate. There's a lot of noise out there for sure, and I mean I think I think the other thing is, you know, it goes back to kind of something that I've been talking about over a year at this point, but it's the fact that I feel like too many times. We're worried about measuring results. The problem with measuring results is the behaviors have already happened. There's no chance to course correct once you get there. And if you understand the predefined behaviors that make for a successful producer or a successful salesperson, regardless of the industry, and you measure the behaviors and make sure those are happening, the results are going to come. We know that, right? For me to say, 
Look, I could reduce the dirty 130 down to 100 telemarketing calls and 30 marketing drops a week if I wanted to. There's more that goes into it than that, but I would tell any producer out there, if you're willing to put in the work, don't waste your money buying my book. Do 100 cold calls a week on the phone yeah. and 30 marketing drops, and you'll make more money than you ever thought yeah. you would make. Yeah, I agree with that. Even though I, I promote LinkedIn, I think there's a lot of value to it. There's no way you could not be successful if you did that for six months and followed that simple activity. If you just did that, you would, it would work. Period. Correct. But, but the, the difference. But the difference is when you have the content marketing game working for you, it's working while you're doing those yeah. phone calls and marketing drops. When you have direct email campaigns set up properly, they're working for you when you're doing the things that nothing else can do for you, right? So, I mean, I think, you know, yes, you could be wildly successful, but at the same time, why wouldn't you do this other stuff? It can all work in concert and ultimately give you way more opportunities to well, close business than just. Well, it, it goes back to what we were talking about with Aaron Ramsey. You know, you, it's not sustainable to do 130, you know, do that year in and year out. You know, maybe there's some people that, yeah, they have the mindset, the grit, the guts to do that. But for most people, that's just not sustainable to do that. And it's probably not the smartest way to go about building your book of business, especially a middle market. You know, I think, you know, it, it kind of diminishes the value of the relationship. You know, it doesn't position you as that authority, as that trusted authority. If you're constantly in the chase mode, you know, if you don't have that authority content to back it up, you know, you know, it's less likely you're going to get those business-related phone calls or inquiries where you know you really have that trusted relationship, where you know you can, you, you can tap that relationship to help the, them to introduce you to other people. You know, you know it, it's the power of leverage. You know, you know, it's working smart. Well, the other thing, too, is, I mean, let's just take blog posts as an example. You know, you can be out cold call, cold calling on people in person and they might have a question in the course of conversation and say, look, I'm going to give you the elevator pitch now because I know you weren't expecting me to come in, but I actually wrote an article on this. I'm going to shoot yeah. you the link when I get back. Can I grab your email quick? Now, what did I do right there? I did a whole bunch of stuff in about yeah, 10 yeah. seconds. That, that's number so one, more powerful. Yeah. Number one, I established authority because I have to know something about the topic to write the article. Number two, I got their email address so that I could mm -hmm. send them the link and they may or may not have given it to me to begin with. And number three, I gave them a link to my website. And once they hit my website, HubSpot's going to work its witchcraft all over them. And now they can't get away from me because I will stay in front of them and I will know every single time they consume any piece of content that we do. And when you when I take the time and I break it down for everybody, it's like, well, holy crap, I never would have picked up on that much happening in that just quick blurb in exchange that, that you had with somebody. But that's what you have to do. That's why we talk about breaking it down into small digestible bites so you can understand it. But then you just got to practice over and over and over again. Yeah. It becomes second nature to you. I'm at the point in my career now, and I don't want this to sound cocky or arrogant, but I'm pretty sure I can get 100% of the email addresses I want. I won't have a problem going in and getting them from somebody. I'm that polished in my ability to start conversation and find pain 
very quickly in, in a conversation. But it, look, it goes back to the same thing over and over and over again. People don't know how to buy. People don't know how to sell. Right. We're selling to price. It's like this death spiral because it's like we have both these both these parties just stumbling around in the dark trying Correct. to figure it out. And maybe by some dumb luck, there'll be a match and it'll really fit what they really need. You know, and, you know, we've seen these diagrams of the buying journey. It's not we like to think it's a straight line from, you know, point A, point B, point C. Hardly know, ever. It just squiggles all around because these people, every day they wake up and there's a freaking burning crisis exactly. when they walk into their office. You know, someone's threatening to, to quit on them. You know, two other people didn't show up. Something blew up on the job site. You know, that's the reality of what the business owners are dealing with. Mm -hmm. And you yeah. need to be able to fit into that reality. Hundred percent. I mean, I think that's the thing. I think the 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 blessing about any kind of content based marketing is it's so much more measurable to what we had yeah. 10, 20, 30 years ago. So if you're if you want to know whether or not you're reaching an audience and you're you're growing your authority on LinkedIn, take a beginning count on the number of people who are following you and then Look at it on a weekly, monthly, and, and so on basis and see if that's growing. And I'm not talking about the people that you're reaching out with to, to intentionally connect. I'm talking about the silent followers that don't really want to come in and give you the connection request, but they like your content, so they're following you. I've noticed, and I'm sure you have too, that recently LinkedIn's updated when you get an invitation to connect from somebody where it says so-and-so is a follower, of, follower yeah. of you and would like to connect now. They didn't used to say that hmm. so-and-so is the follower of, follower of you. At least I didn't notice it, so it may have been there for 20 years, and I just didn't know. But No, I um, think it's pretty recent. You know, the other thing that I pay really close attention to, David, and this is, you know, the one of the sole reasons I invest in Sales Navigator is I want to know how much of that content is resulting in profile visits. You know, yep. within my target market, you know, am I pulling other insurance brokers to look at my profile? Because the profile is going to determine if they're going to connect or not connect. If you're under 30% connection uh, acceptance rate, your profile sucks. You know, yep. there's something, you know, you're, you're showing up as just another insurance guy It's too salesy. It, it's not giving them value and they're just not going to connect because they're, they're concerned that you're going to pitch them right away. That's why people don't connect. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you gotta, you know, kind of tweak those things and pay attention to them. And they're indicators just as you were saying, David, they're indicators of whether or not your content is really hitting home and whether it's really connecting with people and it, and if it's delivering value to them. Yeah, hundred percent. And you know, the other thing too is it, it's, I always like to make sure that if I do send somebody a request to connect, it's not uh, hey, I'd like to add you to my network connection. Put, right? put, put a message in there. There's always yeah. going to be a note. And if there's not a note, there's going to be the voice message for me saying, look, probably like me, you get a ton of these connection requests from people you don't want to connect to. And you yeah. may choose ultimately not to connect with me. And that that's okay. 
I wanted to take the time to send you the message to let you know that number one, I'm a real human being. I'm not a computer that's automating this. And number two, you have my word. I'm not going to spam you with a bunch of instant messages or anything else. I simply know that we have a lot of the same connections. We're in the same geography and it would be beneficial for me to have you in my network. And I would like to think it would be beneficial for you to have me in yours. So, yeah. and again, I think it goes back to something I said earlier is before you just send out a blind connection request, get on their radar first, comment on their posts, you know, yeah. comment on other team members, you know, you can find out, you know, through LinkedIn search on Sales Navigator, you know, who else is in that organization and are they posting within the past 30 days? That's the other beauty of what you can find out from Sales Navigator. So you're really targeting and and working with those people who are active on LinkedIn. You know, get on their radar first before just out of the blue, you do a connection request. That's a good point. Here's the deal, Walt. This right here, the Dirty 130, cannot achieve its maximum potential in anybody's efforts without the extra two minutes, period, right? Because that's that's the difference. You can go do the LinkedIn requests just like everybody else, but if you take the extra time to send that personalized voice message or that personalized note to give them some level of peace that you're not going to just hammer them the second they accept your connection request – That's what's going to lead to better results. Just like you should take the time to research the people you're going to meet before you go to a first meeting. Yet how many people go in blind Mm -hmm. and just think, oh, I'm going to go in. I've got this great carrier that's going to be able to get me the best rates and blah, 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 blah. I will chew that person up and spit them out on a new business. With all the stuff online, you'd be a fool to go in blind. Do a little bit of homework. You know, and it's the same thing. You're right, David. It's a case of taking that extra two minutes and doing, you know, dropping in some comments before you do the connection request. Send that after they connect, send that voice note or a video walking with a welcome message. So you stand out in their inbox as a real person instead of just some automated message that's, you know, trying to hammer them to get on a phone call. You know, just saying, hey, great to connect, David. You know, really like the stuff that you're putting out there on LinkedIn. You know, if ever I can help you, give you some feedback, I'm here for you. Boom, that's it. You know, on your phone, it takes you like 30 seconds to record that message. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. And it's crazy that you wouldn't do it. Like, that. But you know what? Well, well helps me. Well, yeah. I think you said it in the book. You know, and, and it, this holds true for me too. Every time I do that, I'll get a response back if it's a, a voice message or a video message on a on a welcome connection. Everyone responds back. They may not all go anywhere, but at least we started the conversation within DM. Hundred mm-hmm. percent, absolutely. So let me ask you this: I always ask for actionable stuff. What are what are three things besides besides calling you or reaching out to you to set up time for you to do a deep dive with them, which we're going to get to that in a minute because everybody should. What are three things that salespeople right now can do on LinkedIn to change their percept the per, their perception from their constituency? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, I th- I think first of all is. You, you got to really know your market, you know, and, and zero in on a market. You know, if you're just showing up as a generalist insurance agent, 
you're just not going to get any traction. So, you know, and a lot of people fight me on this when I tell them this, but, you know, and, and you don't have to be, you know, married to this market for your whole career, but pick a market, you know, go in, do the search, find out who, who the key players are within that market. Within, within Sales Navigator, you can really drill down by zip code, you know, zip code area. You can drill down by title. You can drill down by industry. Uh, you can drill down by the time, the length of time they've been in the job. You can you can drill down into, hey, who are CFOs within, you know, plumbing contractors, over 25 employees who had been on the job less than six months. That CEO probably wants to get in there and prove something to this new to the CEO. Maybe he wants to change the insurance program. You know, those are kind of indicators, triggers to maybe the people that you should be getting on the radar of. The second thing is, and I said this before, before you just blast out a bunch of connections, you know, get on the radar by commenting. Start to build that, that content muscle by commenting and not just saying, well, hey, great post, you know, enjoyed it, you know, whatever. You know, ask a question, leave some insight, you know. Tell, you know, leave a comment saying, hey, I agree with this point. I don't agree with this point. Or I'm wondering how you do this or what you do about this. Leave some value so that you're showing that you, you're, you're then establishing that credibility. It, you know, and the other thing is when you do decide to do content is do it consistently, whether it's once a week, you know, three times a week, daily, whatever, you got to be consistent. Post at the same time, same day, every every week, because consistency builds trust. If you're just kind of shotgunning here or there, you know, people are they're they're wondering well, what's what the hell is this guy about? What what's he trying to do? But if you show up consistently, you start to build the relationship, you start to build expectation, you start to build trust. So those are the three things that you know. Just keep it real simple. Yeah, I think that the one thing, if I'm going to give anybody a nugget today, the nugget I'm going to give is, and this doesn't matter whether it's content creation or the conversation that you have when you go out and do a marketing drop. Answer the question your prospect doesn't know they have. Yeah, absolutely. That's what, that's what you need to do because I can't tell you the number of times I want to, that I can talk about return to work and that prospect never even knew it was an issue. Yeah. You know, they, they were complaining about premium, but they didn't realize that return to work actually could affect the workers' comp premium. And the reason that their mod was as high as it was is because they didn't have that program in place to minimize the indemnity claims, blah, 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 well, blah, blah, right? Well, they don't know enough about how insurance or how work comp works to ask the question. They don't know unless they experience the claim and it Correct. blew up on them then they know. And it's a painful lesson for them. And where do they go? They go to the internet to look, how do I do this? How do I do that? How can I control this cost, that cost, whatever else? And if you have good content and you've done your SEO the right way, guess whose answer to their question yeah. going to show up. And if you do a good job of thoroughly answering, because that's the next piece, if you're going to do it, don't just be consistent. You also have to be complete. Okay, I'm going to keep the alliteration going with the C's, <laughs> but you have to be complete. Don't just throw a, a little two cent answer out for the question. Answer the question in its entirety, because 
you might get lucky and answer the one piece for one person, but there may be four other people who have a question that's sort of peripheral that you could answer at the same time when ultimately you have a longer form post that's more complete. I'm a huge fan. Look, I understand that from a, a, a an SEO standpoint and how Google rates stuff, we bounce all over the place. And I've heard recently that Google is good, has now changed the algorithm again to put a heavier emphasis on educational content. Mm-hmm. The more you educate, the better your SEO is going to be. But here's the thing. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if I have a person who responds to me after reading 30 seconds of a post, or a person who spent all seven minutes to read the entire post, I know who I want to have the phone call with. Yeah. It's the person that spent the seven minutes. True. People who have the ability, who, who, who have the wherewithal to go through the long form content typically have a bigger problem. They're actually in the position right now where you've captured their attention in the first couple of seconds and they've read through the entire thing and they're already beginning to think about what it would be like to have a conversation with you. And it's just a much better conversation when you get on the phone. Half the time, if you do a crappy job of answering the question, you're going to spend more time on the phone trying to do what you could have done in the blog post originally, which is get the basic blocking and tackling out of the way so that when you get down to brass tacks, you're getting down to brass tacks. Well, the other thing, David, and we didn't really get into this. You know, if you do a long form blog post or a video workshop, whatever, you have the ability to, to slice and dice that content, you know, and, and you can do a snippet of that post and start to grab attention with a LinkedIn post, you know, because again, it gets back to that buyer's journey. There are people that are on the top of the funnel, they're in the middle of the funnel, and they're in the bottom of the funnel. The top of the funnel is they're just really not aware, or they may be somewhat aware that they have a problem. And so you need to educate them about the problem. In the middle of the funnel, you're educating them about the solution and about you providing that solution. The bottom of the funnel, you're educating them about why they need to hire you to solve that problem for them. So you, you need to provide all those forms of content to educate them through that buyer's journey. And, and that's why when you have long form content, you can break it out into those different forms of content. 100% webinars are my favorite because I've got yeah. an hour in most cases and that will give me a content marketing strategy, quite honestly, that could last me an entire year from a one yeah. hour webinar yeah, if I wanted it to. And, you know, for those of you out there that are still shaking your head thinking this guy's nuts and doesn't, you know, you don't believe in what I'm talking about. Here's a fun fact. I've announced uh, several times in the challenge group on Facebook for the Dirty 130 that there are Easter eggs in the book that people don't know. I'm going to give you one of them. I wrote an entire chapter of that book with artificial intelligence. You know what it was? <laughs> I used I used Otter AI, which is one of the tools that I talked about, and the entire chapter on webinars was literally the transcription from a meeting that I had inside Killing Commercial. All I did was clean up the grammar a little bit because I speak differently than I talk. But all of the points, all of the supporting uh, evidence and everything, that chapter took me like five minutes to write because it was all a transcription and all I had to do is fix, uh, fix the grammar. So I hear all the excuses. Oh, I don't have time or, oh, the technology doesn't work or whatever else. You know what? If you got excuses, you need to just go find a job punching a clock somewhere and not yeah. making an impact. Well, it's just, it gets back to what we're saying. Yeah, you know, at least, you know, get started. Do do something. Yeah, you know, there's no reason you can't start to comment on posts. 
There's just no reason you can't start to do that. Right. What's uh, it, what is it? Oh, it's like, it's like the, the it's like, uh, you know, I, I use the analogy all the time. Kyle's too young to remember this, but you know, when you and I were younger, Walt, when we wanted to call the girl in class that we were kind of fond of, we would dial six digits. We would never, we would never dial that seventh one because her dad may answer the phone, right? <laughs> you have to worry. And then you finally get the guts up to dial the seventh one and you may have waited too long. The call wouldn't go through. So you do it again and you hurry up. Then the dad picks up and you hang up real quick because we didn't have star 69 <laughs> or any of that, right? But that's how people approach content marketing. They're calling the seventh grade yeah. girl who sits next to them in science class don't screw the seventh grade girl go for the teacher people you yeah. I mean, think yeah. bigger than anybody else in class is willing to think just go for it just do it who cares uh, if they don't like you they don't like you yeah yeah i think it's yeah and i think it's i think it's going to become more and more of a factor you know it's just you know as i said before the bar is being raised i think you know it's tougher and tougher to get people on the phone you know, we now have, you know, a generation of people who just don't answer the phone. Uh, so it's going to be tough. You know, they're taking over as business leaders. So it's tougher to get them on the phone. Uh, so you've got to have ways to get in front of them to grab their attention. And if you're not doing it through content, man, your competition is just going to flat out smoke you in the long run. Yep. That's, that's really the reality. Agreed. And here's the thing, man. If you're in the right marketplace, I mean, I can promise you it works in the middle market. Can't tell you about national accounts, but they may not need it. I mean, I think the most national accounts know who Marsh Willis and Aon are, and they're going to give them the opportunity to come yeah, in and do an RFP. And I think that the Main Street people typically aren't necessarily going to – they're going to deal with Bob Smith or, or uh, you know – J Janet Jones, who's had an agent. Well, well, I think in, in the small market or maybe personal lines, you, it's a different focus. You're you're then trying to build the relationships with those strategic partners, the people yep. who can get you in front of your high net worth homeowners, or who can get you in front of the restaurant owners or the auto repair shop guys. You know, you're building those relationships, you know, in nest so that you can leverage relationships instead of going one on one and trying to, you know, create value content, you know, in the middle market, because you're right, those smaller business owners, they're, they're really not going to rely on, they have a different shorter buying process. Yeah. 100%. Really the reality of that. Well, listen, man, we've been going for about an hour and I want to be respectful of your time. Um, you know, listen, people, obviously I'm a big fan of Walt's. I like what he has to say. He's different than other consultants that are going to talk to you about LinkedIn because he has walked a mile in our shoes. If somebody wants to reach out to you, I remember the last time we had you on the podcast, you had a landing page or something set up where they could do a profile checkup or something along those lines. Where do you want to, where do you want people to reach out to you? Yeah. Well, LinkedIn, I'm sure. the best place to reach out is to either follow me uh, or connect with me on LinkedIn check out my featured section on LinkedIn. And this is the other thing we didn't really talk about. Use the featured section as calls to action for the different where people are in the buying process. And you'll see the uh, links there to get on my, I just launched this on Sunday, my weekly newsletter, Waltz Maltz, More Action, Less Talk. And uh, so every week on Sunday, you'll get an email uh, with uh, strategies, tips, you know, LinkedIn uh, tactics, whatever, 
so get on, on the email list and, and start following what I post. And yes, I do still do the uh, LinkedIn profile snapshot. So if you want to get a second opinion, hey, uh, is your LinkedIn profile grabbing attention in that critical first 33 seconds? Uh, yeah, just book a call with me. Absolutely. People, you could do far worse things than reach out to Walt and schedule time with him. He has been an invaluable consultant to many people that I know that have gotten back to me and given me nothing but great feedback about their experience with him, Annabelle being one of them. So I highly, highly recommend that you reach out to him. And if you think that it's an accident that I had a LinkedIn guru on around the time that the Dirty 130 released, people, come on now, don't sell me short. I know that a lot of people out there need this guy, and that's why I wanted to bring him on well, as a resource. The, uh, one other thing, David, I'm going to send you over some, uh, you know, another maybe an addendum to the Dirty 130 LinkedIn uh, activity, you know, putting together uh, some frameworks for commenting for uh, those direct messages for content creation. So you're so welcome to do that. And I think we can grab on to I think we need to do it as a webinar for all the readers, man. Let them yeah. hear it from the man himself. We'll get that on the books. That would be a cool thing oh. to do. Absolutely. Oh, man. Hey, it's good to finally talk to you. Likewise, man. I had fun. We dropped a lot of little nuggets in there for people today. So hopefully yeah. they, they reach out. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, guys. We're going to go ahead Good and wrap stuff, it up. Man. Thanks. Everybody else, thanks for listening. We will catch you next time. See ya. You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com.